Hello again, everyone. It's your girl, Gabrielle, from Step Ahead Tutoring Services. Welcome to a new episode of Hot Topics. So if you're not familiar with us already, this is the show where we talk about education, employment, mental health, physical health, or anything else that is steamy. So we have another steamy topic for you. The topic is school to prison pipeline. So I'm just going to repeat that one more time. The school to prison pipeline. There it is. And then our guest today is a repeat guest, our favorite guest. Her name is Robin Simpson. She's been with us a few times before. She's back again. So I'm just going to remind you about who she is. Let me put up her little banner here. So who is Robin Simpson? So Robin Renee Simpson received her associates in human services from the New York College of Technology and her bachelor's from Metropolitan College. Currently, She's pursuing her master's degree in childhood and childhood special education from birth to second grade at St. John's University, so fellow St. John's alum. In addition to that, she's a residential family group daycare owner and a master life coach. Now, in the fall, she'll partner with us to provide group tutoring for grades one through five. Her interests are social justice and education and twice exceptional students. So I'm going to bring Robin to the stage right now. Hi, Robin. How are you doing today? Hi, hi, hi. Wow. Welcome. I'm okay. glad to be back. Thank you for having me again. Of course. Of course. We love you here. You're a favorite yes. here. Yes, yes. Um, well, today's topic is school to prison pipeline. And school to prison pipeline is one of the issues in social educational justice that is very dear to me because I have two African American sons and know a whole host of African American boys. And it's really disheartening to know that school to prison pipeline is one of these obstacles that they would have to overcome. So to jump into it, um, what is school to prison pipeline? School to prison pipeline is a trend where children are pushed out of school and into the juvenile or criminal justice system. It gives harsher discipline in schools and African-American males and Latino males are less likely to graduate from high school. There is a new phenomenon that goes before school to prison pipeline and is called cradle to prison pipeline. And in that phenomenon, it is expressed that the racial and classism disparities does not begin 
in school, it begins the day that an African-American or a Latino boy is born. So the buzzwords for school depression pipeline is zero tolerance. And we have heard a lot of zero tolerance um, in our uh, political climate. And so what zero policies means is that for African-American males and Latino males that um, they will experience racism and classism at a fairly disproportionate rates from the time that they enter in school. And they will get penalized for minimal uh, infractions in school. So I have here some examples of what um, some of the infractions that are given in school that would lead to the school to prison pipeline. So you have a 17-year-old boy in high school uh, shot a paper clip with a rubber band at a classmate and missed and broke the skin of a cafeteria worker. This student was expelled from school. You have a nine-year-old boy on the way to school found a manicure kit with a one-inch knife. This student was expelled, uh, suspended, excuse me, for one day. You have two 10-year-old boys from Arlington, Virginia, were suspended for three days for putting soapy water in a teacher's drink. The boys were charged with a felony that carried a maximum sentence of 20 years and were formally processed through the juvenile justice system before the case was dismissed months later. You have another uh, case in Pennsylvania where a kindergartner told her pals she was going to shoot them with a Hello Kitty toy that makes soap bubbles. The kindergartner was initially suspended for two days and the incident was reclassified as a threat to harm others. In Massachusetts, you have a five-year-old boy attending an after-school program, made a gun out of Legos and pointed it at another student while simulating the sound of gunfire. As one school official put it, he was expelled from school. In Queens, you have a five-year-old boy was arrested, handcuffed, and taken to the psychiatric hospital for having a tantrum and uh, for knocking off papers off the principal's desk. In Pittsburgh, Florida, a five-year-old girl was handcuffed, arrested, and taken into custody for having a tantrum and disrupting a classroom. In Orlando, Florida, you have an 11-year-old girl who was tased by the police officer, arrested and faced charges of batteries on a security resource officer for disrupting a school function and resisting with violence. She pushed another student. 
You have an honor student in Houston, Texas was forced to spend a night in jail when she missed class to go to work to support her family. A 13 year old uh, from New York was handcuffed and removed from school for writing the word okay on her desk. These are just a few incidents where the school to prison pipeline begins at a very, very early age. And as I said before, in some instances, the new phenomenon is based on racism, classism of people living in uh, low socioeconomic uh, environments and have less opportunities. And more importantly than that, schools in uh, low socioeconomic statuses have one, less resources, two, uh, teachers who are, uh, that function on a lower level and the school funding is far less. So they don't have access to, you know, um, after school productive after school programs or recreational activities for children. So the children are coming in school, they are seeing the presence of police officers. Um, they are being charged with, you know, heavy infraction. Now, most of us know African-American boys and before they go to school, they're happy. They are, they, they are enjoying life. They have dreams of being a lawyer, a doctor, a politician and president. You know, and by the time they reach fourth grade, all their dreams and aspirations have been sucked out of them. A large time is because of the interaction that they may experience in schools. And in some uh, schools, you have the majority of students that are African-American and you will have 60% of the teachers coming out of the neighborhood who are Caucasians for the most part. So the cultural responsiveness that um, our children deserve is not there. In addition to the schools functioning on that level, you also have uh, the media that portrays African-American males and Latino males as villains or drug dealers. And so with this media effect that is ingrained into our society. So when our children go into the school and little things happen, such as the things that I just read, they are blown up, uh, blown up into proportion because it's the stereotypes that are placed on our kids before any of these things happen. And it's very disheartening because, you know, parents send their children to school to be educated. And for the most part is the assumption that these teachers are professionals. But as we're coming to understand the phenomenon of school to prison pipeline, they are being tracked into incarceration. So with that being said, it's a phenomenon that, you know, it has, it's not really talked about 
I don't think, you know, a lot of people are aware of it, but it's definitely devastating that uh, African-American males and Latino males will experience, you know, these things going to school. On a personal note, I had a little boy in the daycare. At this particular time, he was five years old. His parents were going through a divorce. The family was very tight. Dad is no longer there. He becomes very angry. He becomes very temperamental. And so the school started suspending him at five years old. So as I was reading school pipeline to prison, because it was something that I had never heard, I immediately got in contact with the parent and explained to her to make sure that this school does not suspend him again. And if they do, then she will get a lawyer and press charges against the school. He was going through a very bad time. You know, his family structure was falling apart. And, you know, you mean to tell me that there is no one in school that would be able to recognize that, you know, here's a child that's having a breakdown. And what services could this institution put in place to help him get through it? Instead of helping him, they went against the grain and made it worse. Because now as soon as he walked into the school, his whole attitude would change and he became aggressive. So on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, sometimes mom had to come and pick him up from school. Sometimes I had to come and pick him up from school. And it was really a devastating time. Thankfully, he has adjusted to the separation and um, he's able now to reach out when he feels, you know, disheartened. So, you know, it's, it's, it's really sad that children who are minors have to experience racism, classism, microaggressions on a day-to-day -day basis that they're not even aware of. And how do you teach your children to prepare themselves for that? So for the most part, our children and even our parents are going through the educational system unaware that this is systematic to all children of, of African and Latino descent. Very disheartening. Okay, so <laughs> in 1970s, because we need to go back, we need to go back to the Nixon era. And basically, and this is my assumption, during the 60s, you had um, Mal Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, and other uh, males that, African-American males that were hitting the streets for social justice. And they left an impact on a race of people during the 60s. And any, they were assassinated. So it became very interesting how after the 60s, we were not able to get anyone else to move the nation of African-Americans into receiving justice across the spectrum. 
all of a sudden in the 70s, the media started portraying African-American males as drug dealers, pimps, uh, uh, abusers. And then in addition to that, drugs were just dropped in our neighborhood. And now when the drugs is being dropped in our neighborhood, now we have zero tolerance. Now we are given the maximum sentence for drugs that was deliberately put into our neighborhoods. And that was the beginning of the system saying, well, listen, if we're able to get X amount of people in prison and in jails, because the justice system is, is a private system, we can keep the economy going. So with that being said, we suffered a lot. So now it becomes a thing where we are able to um, start this system as early as children being born, African-American males being born. The United States have the highest uh, rate of incarceration in the world. 22.2 million persons. And the majority are of African-American and Latino descent that are in state and federal prisons. And 5 million are under correctional supervision, such as probation and parole. Now, mind you, once uh, a person is discharged from the justice system, they can't get a job. They're not able to vote. So the vicious cycle begins to go on and on and on. So the maximum sentences for drug violations happens at a higher rate for African American males and Latino males. And, and I want to go back to also include that the standardized test also plays a part in the school pipeline to prison. Because it is a given that African-American and Latino grades are significantly lower. And as I said before, in relation to not having you know, adequate uh, after-school services, uh, curricular services, teachers, um, coming into the school um, less prepared, that um, it creates this environment whereby um, the, the child is not being educated, less likely to drop out. So once you drop out of school, then nine times out of 10, the next step would be, you know, a life of crime because you're not um, employable. One in 36 Latino males will be arrested and serve time in jail. So that means if you line up 36 Latino males, one of them is going to jail. One in 15 African-American males will go to jail. And one in 100 African-American females will end up in jail. So 
it creates this vicious cycle that, you know, we have to get past this phenomenon from the day that we're born. And it follows us all the way to in the creation of our families. How many African-American children are living in single parent homes, right? And so when a child is being raised in a single parent home, some will build up the resiliency and be okay. And then as we know, some will be able to use their re resiliency in a, in a negative way. And the cycle continues, continues, continues. I am the time, the town crier. Because I feel like we need more information to be able to advocate for our children so that when they go to school, they're getting the education that they need so that they can come out and be productive members of society. So what does that look like in real time? If the majority of your kids in a school is African-American, then the majority of the teachers should be African-American, especially in the lower grades because our culture, you can't really teach culture. You can be culturally responsive, but you can't teach culture. So in relationship to that child being in school, and the teachers being the substitute for their parent, they will receive as close to their culture as they can. Even in the relationship between um, how teachers respond to students and how students respond back. If you're not aware of my culture and I say something, you may deem me as being attitudinal when that's a part of my culture the way that I speak. So school pipeline to prison is, is very important that um, we look at the milestones. So in our previous talk, I talked about the um, early intervention. So as a parent, it's paying attention to the milestones when the child is young, right? And then moving forward, making sure that, you know, your child is reading independently by the third grade. And if the child is lacking any uh, foundational resources, and this is one of the reasons why we are coming together to um, have tutoring on the weekend, is to increase the foundation so that when they are in school and they are introduced to new concepts, they will have a firm foundation that they will be able to grasp the new concepts better. So paying attention to those milestones is very key to ensure that your, uh, your child is moving through the school to prison pipeline. Because without this information, one would just think, you know, the child has a, a problem. But what is really going on, the child is being a victim of systematic racism and classism. So with that, I, I thank you for having me here. I appreciate this talk because, as I said in the beginning, I have two African-American Son, grandsons that I pay attention to their milestones. 
as well as all the children that are in my daycare and what I would like for us to do on the weekends when we start our group of uh, tutoring. Thank you. Awesome, awesome. So as you were talking, I, I noticed uh, a few, I, uh, I noticed a few things. So I noticed um, you talk about emotional outbursts and um, certain behaviors that people on the outside can look at as threatening, aggressive. Uh, so I, I noticed you talk about that in connection to the school pipeline to prison. So do you mind talking more about those behaviors that we may see in children that can be mislabeled? Yes, for sure. For sure. So this is just my my uh, summation of how I um, put it together. Okay. You have mainstream society. And in mainstream society, it's ran by uh, white, Anglo-Saxon, Protestant Jews, right? And so in this mainstream society, this is the the guidelines of what everyone should look like. So in that, it's the way you're supposed to speak, the way you're supposed to dress. You have conservatism, you know, wearing black, brown, uh, gray, right? As being conservative. So with that being said, you have a subculture. And in that subculture, subculture says, I don't want to go to mainstream, right? Because I know that I'm not going to be accepted in mainstream. So what happens in the subculture, you have your own language, your own state of being, the way that you dress, the way that you act. So now you're going to school, which is a formal institution that is put together by mainstream society. So when mainstream society, which is the authority figure, comes to talk to the student that is predominantly surrounded by a subculture, the conflict begins. And so in the tone, in the mannerism, sometimes that behavior is provoked from the student because it's, it's, there's a misunderstanding, right? You may have other issues of disabilities, right? That will contribute to the tantrum and the outbursts. Or you may have situations at home where, you know, it is not conducive for this child in, in his best interest. So, he's going to act out. And where is he going to act out? He's going to act out in school. So with the behavior and the school pipeline to prison, not being aware that that behavior can contribute to the school to prison pipeline, it's just the state of being. Because at some point, this child 
is trying to express himself. And here again, it goes back to understanding this child, knowing the different uh, situations that they may be coming out of in order to understand that child's emotional stability. Awesome, awesome. So one of the things that institutions should address is mental health. You know, just because we see a child acting out, you know, we shouldn't automatically assume all their trouble, all their bad. Yes. You know, we should look into it yes. a little bit more. Is that yes. what you're saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. And in addition to that, you know, yes, we can invite um different uh, mental health interventions. But if it's not coming from our neighborhoods, it's gonna be that same intent that there's something wrong with this child. I urge for African-Americans uh, and, and people of, of different cultures to be able to sit at the table of, of discourse community to express, to have the real conversations of what is like in our community. Because once we do that, then that's where the interactions would switch. You, you, you can't learn me from a book when you don't know how I'm living, what I have to go through before I get to school. I mean, a lot of times in the morning when I see kids coming to school, they're going to the corner store to get their chips and their candy because that's breakfast. Because when they get to school, they don't like that breakfast that's in school. That's not the best breakfast. Yes, you're providing free food, but we know that that's not the best food. Or at home, it may not be any breakfast. So let me get something that I like. Sit in class all day having potato chips and candy, and you're going to be able to function on a normal level. So with that, you know, it, it's a matter of the, the, the community speaking out instead of outsiders looking into our community and telling us what is wrong. We need to be able to advocate for our children. but. With that being said, we also have to understand the phenomenon of school pipeline to prison. Because if we don't know it, then how are we going to address it? How are we going to address the difference in personalities? How are we going to address the proper mental intervention? So we definitely need a lot more conversations. Absolutely. Absolutely. So to play devil's advocate here, um, we're talking a lot about the school's responsibilities. So I'm wondering, you know, because their job is to just to educate the kids. And now we're talking about we should address the mental health issues. So um, I'm wondering if we're putting too much on the schools and should that responsibility fall on community leaders should it fall on the families themselves so why 
should we why should it fall on the schools and the teachers and the principals when we should encourage the families to do it and community leaders to do it okay great question first of all the schools um encountered the same exact problems that society carried school is no different it's a community of people community of children educators so the same issues that we have outside the school we have inside right so a large part of the burden of of responsibility yes it should be equal on both sides hands down but what has happened is a lot of times parents don't want to come to school because all I ever hear is my son misbehaving. I never hear anything good. The only time the teacher picks up the phone to call me is when he's doing something bad. So that's one reason. The second reason is I'm a single parent and my hours of employment does not allow me time to come to the school to figure it out. Because as a parent and a single parent who may not have a established career, just can't take time off my job to come to school. Or everybody in my family, as we talked about with the early intervention, you know, have these issues. They are outgrowing. They'll, they'll be fine. Every, we, 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 we deal with this on our own so that everybody will be fine. And then you have the schools that, you know, want to use $10 words like culturally responsive. So what does culturally responsive mean? Well, you know, I'm going to, you know, pronounce your name correctly and I'm going to acknowledge your cultural and traditions and, you know, you can, you know, bring these things to class and we can talk about it and, and, and share with each other. Are we really getting to the, to the nitty gritty of things? Part of the reason why the schools is carrying the same issues as society is because you have schools in the affluent neighborhoods with the better equipment, with the better teachers, the better programs. You have schools in the poorer neighborhood with equipment that's that's not functional. One time um my one of my students came to the after school program and the teacher had given him homework on a paper that he could not read because there were black lines all over the paper that is considered a micro aggression because what that says is i do not value you enough to even give you a sheet of paper where you can read we internalize these messages. And then when we act out, you we are seeing the result of an injustice that has already taken place. Does this happen for everybody? No, it doesn't. But at a disproportionate rate, a lot of children in, in low SESs are at stake. So it is it's not about pointing a finger and saying, oh, it's the you know, the Board of Education's responsibility. Yes, across the board, 
we need to be able to have some real rough, authentic conversations where schools can air out their issues and parents can air out their issues and somehow meet in the middle. Because the school can point the finger at the parent, the parent can point the finger at the school, and who falls through the cracks? The child, the student. Absolutely, absolutely. You bring up a lot of great points. So let's talk about the prison part now. So where, my question is, where is that turning point? What happens that now we go straight, straight to prison? So where does prison come into the equation? How bad does something have to get in order for prison to, to be the answer? So what happens in that respect is it's progressive. It's very subtle and very slow, right? So it's not, you know, it doesn't begin, you walk in the door, okay, you know, we, we, your, your track is over here to prison. It's not, it's not that obvious. It starts off with the microaggression. It starts off with the zero tolerances. It starts off with the suspensions and the, the being expelled from school. So in that process, it's very slow how, you know, little Johnny is going to the principal's office and, you know, well, you're in here again. What did you do this time? You know, and that message is being sent that, you know, maybe I'm not worth it. So why should I care about school? I'm just going to end up being in trouble anyway. So it happens very subtly. There are some, um, I hear some parents say, sometimes just the look of school resembles prison. And as we know, the school system was designed not to really educate, it was to, it's to prepare people to work jobs in a nine to five. And so that's why we have the traditional time of eight to, to 220, you know, sitting at your desk, you know, doing the same wrote things over and over again, where, you know, my favorite uh, educational psychologist, Eric, Eric Gardner says, listen, there's, there's like nine other ways to learn. So how our children end up in prison is through the squeezing out of them reaching their highest potential in school. Why is it that children from affluent neighborhoods are being prepped and trained to pass the interest examination for Stuyvesant and Brooklyn Tech, right? And even in that arena, there's another division where there's more Asian kids going to those schools now than there are Caucasian, right? So our children is being prepped for school to prison or to, to be a dropout. So it doesn't really happen as soon as they walk in the door. It's the constant pulling down of that thought, I'll never be a doctor. I'll never be a lawyer. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. And then you get caught up 
in uh, groups where you're looking for validation and, and, and those groups may not be the best uh, role models, but you're looking for acceptance now. So in that light, you're slowly moving away from mainstream society and trying to fit in in the subculture because that's where you're most likely to be accepted. So what you're saying is the when it comes to the school pipeline, the, the school pipeline to prison, it's it's something that happens over time. So it it builds up. So it starts as um the microaggressions, the constant microaggressions, and then it might be then it goes up to the suspensions, the constant suspensions um and then you add then you add on things at home so all these things kind of build up and no one really addressing it until the child just explodes and then ends up committing a crime and putting them in prison and 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 one of the things that you left out was the stereotypes right and you know as a teacher i have to be very familiar with my own prejudice and biased thoughts you know in all honesty because we all have them all have them but to be my authentic self as an educator i have to be aware of them and i have to be able to be accountable for them and once I become aware of them, then I'm able to do something about them. I mean, racism says, oh no, well, you know, uh, all kids do that. So you shouldn't feel that way. You're already minimizing the fact that I'm at a 50 time greater risk for whatever by minimizing. I wanna share this. Um, there was a child that, you know, the, the class was being dismissed. And he said to the teacher, I have to go to the bathroom. Now, this is an African-American boy, and this is a white teacher. The little black boy says, I have to go to the bathroom. The teacher says, um, we don't have time for you to go to the bathroom. But when we get to this point, then I will let you go to the bathroom. So when she gets to the next point and the next teacher or the para or the, whatever the school uh, personnel was, she he asked that person i have to go to the bathroom he never got to the bathroom and i think he asked the third person but by that time he had urinated on himself and then when he was dismissed the when the teacher dismissed him to the parent oh i'm sorry he had an accident and we don't have time to change him or to allow him to to change his clothes can you imagine the humiliation that that child felt? The embarrassment that he felt? And would that make one angry? Would that make me allow me to be respectful to that same those same teachers that refuse to let me do a human act to go to the bathroom? Why was that such a big thing? You know, so it's, it's situations like that that becomes 
very tricky. So now that family has to nurture this little boy and let him know that, listen, that this incident had nothing to do with you. Your needs was not met. The parent had to go up to the school and demand that that teacher apologize to him, right? Even though it would never erase the humiliation, but someone had to be accountable for that act. So all too often, those type of things happen to our children day by day, and they internalize it and become angry. And then when you ask them a simple question, they're going to turn around and be very irate with you because of the microaggressions that have taken place in the past. Mm. So I got to play devil's advocate again. Um, so with, with that story that you gave, you know, it, class was about to be finished, right? So wouldn't it just... I mean, it's a, it's a school rule, right? You can't use the bathroom, like probably like the last five or 10 minutes of class. So wouldn't it have been easier to wait until the class was finished in order to, to use the bathroom? Like it's, is it, is it some, I'm just wondering, is it just, are we putting so much on uh, the microaggressions and it's just, you know, following a simple rule. And that's, that's the issue. That's exactly the issue. Because when it comes down to my basic needs, you can't put me on the schedule to say, this is the time that you have to go to the bathroom. So if a student comes to school and breakfast is over at nine o'clock and he comes 9 15 and he's hungry am i supposed to say well you know little johnny breakfast is over i'm sorry you're gonna have to sit here and wait till lunch time he's hungry he's supposed to be fed if, I, if if a student has to go to the bathroom he has to go to the bathroom because he's being respected as a person now if it becomes excessive then now we need to put a plan in place and that's called a bit a behavior plan so now instead of waiting until the last minute to go to the bathroom it would be in that teacher and that student's best interest to say at the beginning of the period okay little johnny you need to go to the bathroom but we still have to acknowledge his needs you understand so mm -hmm. the microaggression comes in when my basic human need is not acknowledged. If you're not acknowledging my basic human needs, then what am I to you? Are you acknowledging anything? Are you listening to me? Are you hearing me? Are you validating me? And once I realize that you're not doing none of those things, then yes, I might have a tendency to be disrespectful. Two rights don't make a wrong. But in terms of valuing people, we have to go back to our uh, biases, our prejudice, and, and looking at our rules. Because maybe the rule is too, too strict. Maybe we need to let it go a little bit. You're just going to the bathroom. 
You know, you just go into the bathroom. And you bring up a fair point. You know, it might be the the rules of the school. You know, maybe it's the rules are too are too strict, right? And you know, we're not considering individual needs. And so because it's so rigid and and not understanding that you know not everyone can fall on the school schedule even of like the natural rhythms of our body may not go according to the school schedule you know that can cause problems in its own and that's the pipeline that is exactly the pipeline exactly it you do that for 12 years <laughs> You do that for 12 years, right? School is 180 days a year. And you're getting this kind of feedback from different school personnel. After a while, you're going to believe I'm a nothing and a nobody, right? Unless you have a big mouth like me that's going to say, hey, this has nothing to do with you. You are beautiful. You are perfect just the way that you are. So we have to speak life into our children because when they step out of the, the doors, the life is being sucked out of them. So, I mean, you know, to go back to the home life, you know, there's some education that needs to be done there too, right? But the one thing that I can say as being a teacher, we have manuals. We have practices that we must follow. When you are a parent, you don't get no manual with that child. So you, you are, you know, trial and error. You're going along. So we need more people from our community to be psychologists and principals and teachers. And one, another topic that, you know, it, it is a part of my social justice and education is trying to recruit more African-American males to be teachers. But remember, by the time they finish with school pipeline to prison, they are ineligible to teach. Ineligible. Hmm. So trying to, you know, put things in place. So the Board of Education, they have a program for specifically African-American males. But now if I done been through the school to prison pipeline, by the time I finish, you know, with my probation officer, my parole officer, I'm ineligible to teach. I may want to teach, but I'm ineligible. So the whole system is designed to keep this vicious cycle going and going and going and going and going until it hits someone that says, listen, enough is enough. Enough is enough. We have to have more conversations. We have to educate more. One of the things that um, I, I think is very viable in terms of children is called echo mapping. And what echo mapping is, first it was used in the human services field and now is being extended into education. And what that does is Every stakeholder that is a part of that child's life becomes their team. Every single 
person and they they meet at the school and now that we have zoom you can even have it on on zoom where you're getting to know the family right and you have this child is now seeing this whole group of people coming together on his behalf it's going to change the way that he thinks and it's going to change the way the system look at him because they're going to realize that there is somebody that that is going to advocate for this child so i'm very fond of that and that's something that i am going to implement in the daycare this year echo mapping so that i can get to know this child's family and this child can know that his family is advocating for him absolutely absolutely that definitely sounds very necessary uh, uh particularly in, in education educating our children so um i want to address this last point um of course you talked about um like how this topic is very important to you because you have two African-American grandsons. So can you talk more about the the effect that, um, how this seems to be more prevalent in African-American and Latino communities compared to other communities? Well, um, there there was this slogan that says um how did let me let me get it right it says um is is really a, a good thing when your mother when your grandmother is a teacher <laughs> because as being an educator i i know both sides of the fence having been in the educational system myself having a daughter and now having a grand, uh, two grandsons, and being trained as a as an educator, and and the and the one thing is this topic is not discussed in the curriculum at school, not discussed. Nope. I put it into my papers because. I'm I'm making it clear that this is an issue. Now, what does that have to do with my grandsons is I am constantly having conversations with them in reference to their self-esteem, their self-efficacy, right? And being able to um, follow the desires of their heart. I'm constantly telling them to that sometimes you may have to be a standalone. You know, stand for what you believe or you will fall for anything. So I as a result of of my background, I have to pass on the legacy that they are a child of God. I I have to instill that into them. You know, and 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 as a grandmother, I feel that that is my responsibility because, you know, I, I have some wisdom, right? You know, so all that I have is my experience, strength, and hope to pass on to them so that when their back is up against the wall, 
they're, they're able to pull something that I've said to them off the shelf and be able to get through that moment in time. So we talk a lot about resiliency. We talk a lot about education. We, we talk about one of my favorite things that, especially with my younger grandson, we talk about HALT. What is HALT? To be able to advocate for yourself when you're hungry, H. When you're angry, A. When you're lonely, L. And when you're tired, T. And I even added S for sick. So when those natural human uh, discomforts come up, raise your hand and say, you know, I'm hungry, I'm angry, I'm lonely, I'm tired, I don't feel well. You know, so it's really being able to educate them about who they are in order for them to understand that when those microaggressions are pointed towards them, they can let it roll off their back because they say, no, nope. my grandma said, Miss Robin said, I'm a child of God. You know, Miss Robin said, and this is what we have to do for our children. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so one last thing. So you mentioned in the beginning that um, this we tend to see this in lower socioeconomic classes. There's racism involved. So can you, there's, there's a difference between the affluent schools and the not so affluent schools. So can you talk about how that plays into the school pipeline to prison? Okay, very well. And I'm glad you brought that up. Okay, and I'm, the, the comparison that I'm gonna make is Long Island, right? Nassau and Suffolk County as opposed to the city. And the reason why I'm doing that is because there's a measure of control, right? Okay, first of all, in the city, it said that your education is free, right? You don't, you, you don't have to pay, but that's not true. Our taxes pay for education. So in them saying that the education is free, we control the rules. We tell you the curriculum that we're going to teach your child. We're going to set the tone, right? Now, on the island, the schools is funded by their property tax, right? So they have what they call discourse community where the parents, they sit down and they discuss the curriculums that they want their children to be taught. They have control over the school board, right? Same tax money, same tax money, but I live in this community because I like the school system. And if you don't do what we want you to do, we'll move, you'll lose funding, right? So it's all in how, is represented and presented to parents. Free, you don't have a right, but it's not really free. Somebody's paying for it, right? Then you have on the island, property tax. This tax is coming out of my pocket. I'm paying a hefty tax. So we control the school board. We can vote you in and we can vote you out. Now, if that same privilege was given to the schools in the poorer neighborhoods, 
we can apply that same amount of pressure, but we're told that it's free and you don't have the right to do it, right? So that's the difference between how a school pipeline to prison begins because in those affluent neighborhoods, that you, you're gonna have the best. And in addition to that, there's also contributions to that school to have the best. So that's another means of, you know, their funding. If, if, if you don't do what we want you to do, we're gonna pull your funding. So they use uh, their property tax and private donors to be able to uh, have their school board and their schools ran the way that they want to. If money is given into the city, they will divide that money and give it to the affluent schools. Because those parents in the free system go to the PTA, they go to the school board meetings. When they do the comprehensive report for the year, those parents are there, you understand, to say, no, we don't want this curriculum. This is what we want in our school. So it's the allocation of resources that also plays into it because the more resources that go into the school, the more that the parent can decide what happens in the school. And the more that the parents decide, you know, the, the more attention that children will have That's right. in the schools. That's right. So because of, there's not a lot of resources going into the, the I guess the public schools, because um, in the city, the private schools have their source um, resources and the charter schools, but particularly in the public schools, they don't really have a lot of resources going into the school because it's, uh, you know, government sponsored. Um, you know, there's not a lot of attention. That's not a lot of parent advocates and therefore not a lot of attention going to the kids of the school. Correct. And I just want to piggy bank that in the, the schools in the city, the, the, the schools with the low SES, I think they get funded $10,000 per student less than the children in affluent neighborhoods. Less. $10,000 less per student. So you're not going to have that chess club, that dance club, the poetry club, because they don't have the funding. And so the budget that's in the uh, uh, communities with the low SES, it's very limited, very limited, but it's higher in schools in more affluent neighborhoods, for sure. Right. And then, of course, <clears throat> those, the schools that are in the less affluent neighborhoods those kids are more likely to be affected by the school pipeline to prison. That's right. Because they have less resources. The teachers are not the, the best teachers. Um, the major, especially here on Queens in Hollis where I live. So I'm like on the borderline of Long Island. You have an influx of white teachers coming to 
Hollis because it's the borderline of Long Island. And they come in and they work, I would say, between seven and 10 years, get the experience, and then they go and apply to be a teacher in Long Island. Teachers in Long Island, they, uh, the educational department in Long Island don't really, I'm not going to say 100%, but seldom do they hire teachers who are green. Those teachers generally come through the New York City education because the thought is if you could uh, educate those kids, then once you get your experience, then you'll be able to educate our kids. So it's still off of our children's back that those teachers in Long Island get the better teachers because they come in our neighborhood and they get their experience. And as soon as they get their experience, they start applying every year to get out of the system because those teachers on the island get paid more money than they do in the city. So those teachers use the experiences in the city schools to get the better jobs in the, in the, in the Long Island schools. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is known. It, what I'm saying here today, these things are known. The article where I read those um, instances from, that came from uh, a, a book from the NAACP, right? These, th this phenomenon is in educational journals. So it is uh, an evidence-based practice that's not talked about. It's not talked about. And it happens every single day it happens. Every single day. Somebody got to talk about it. Somebody has to talk about it. Because at the end of the day, it's our community that's being affected. And when we are affected, we continue uh representing the generational curse that stems from us being less than humans it continues until someone says enough is enough we're not going to do this anymore we're going to um make you put your money where your mouth is we're going to hold you accountable because we're not happy and until we do that, it's not going to go away. It's not going to go away. You have people right now that's sitting in jail for marijuana, and marijuana basically all over the United States is becoming legalized. Let those people go. Let them go if it's going to become legal. So, you know, we, we, we endure... The, the longest sentences when we have those minor infractions in, in prison and in jail, the same way is done in school. Same way. So, you know, going back to the twice exceptional child that we talked about, how the majority of, 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 of students in special ed are African-American. So that means that we have a lot of uh, gifted and talented children in special education 
because they're not being heard. So either we're going to get them in special education or we're going to get them in jail. Why do our children have to jump across obstacles like that every day and worry about getting home safe? DL Hughley says, I tell my son all the time, your job is to get home safe every day. It's an attack on the African-American male from the day that he's born. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So we're starting to wind down. This has been a very heavy topic. So do you have any final advice for the viewers watching? Maybe there's a school administrator watching, a parent watching. Uh, do you have any advice for our viewers regarding the school pipeline to prison? Um, the best thing that I can say is do your research. Do your research. Don't take anything that I say as the end all or be all. Do your research. Because once you begin to do your research and you see all the information that is out there and how it's uh, America's best kept secret, it may enrage you a little bit, like how I feel talking about it now. A little bit enraged. And once you do your research, pay attention to the treatment that your child is receiving in school. If you are an administrator and you're listening to this, you know that your decision affects other children. So it would be in the best interest of your conscience to do the right thing for our children or for any child at all. Let's start doing the right thing. Because in my, my best advice, like the educational system really needs to apologize for the years of, of loss that generations um, didn't receive proper education because they are looked upon as being a villain less than. So if you are an administrator and you're listening to the sound of my voice, you have a lot of decision-making policies in your hand. And I understand that, you know, once you pass being a teacher, you, you know, your tenure is very limited. We got to stand up for what we believe or we're going to fall for anything. If you're going to go in being afraid to lose your job to speak up, then I have a problem with that. Awesome, awesome, awesome. All right, so you guys, I'm gonna put up Robin's contact information on the screen. So you can find Robin online. Her website is www.rsimpsoncoaching.com. It's scrolling right below. So currently she's offering a special promotion for her coaching services. 12 sessions for half price. So for those of you who are in the New York City area, she also has a daycare center in Queens and is accepting clients starting this month going forward. You can email her at simpsonrobin at ymail.com for more information. So Robin, thank you so much for joining me today on this topic. Thank you right. for having me. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, I'm going to put you backstage. And it's just you and me, guys. 
All right, so let me put up our information here. So this concludes our episode. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. Please check out our YouTube channel for more videos and clips. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Eventbrite. You can also reach us on WhatsApp as well. And if you'd like to learn more about A Step Ahead Tutoring Services, specifically, if you want to know more about our services, our workshops, the things we have to offer, you can check out our website. It's www.astepaheadtutoringservices.com. And one last thing before we leave today, we are also seeking financial contributions to our crowdfunding campaign on ifundwomen.com. The funds will be used to keep our staff employed, to offer free and low cost services, to continue with our web series where we talk about important issues such as the one you heard today, and to reach out to families nationwide. So our unique link is scrolling below. Uh, so please consider making a contribution. No amount is too small. We will definitely appreciate the support. So tune in to the next episode, you guys, and we'll see you next time. Signing off. Bye.